I love the way things can feel so hopeless and Jesus can change it all in an instant. So we're continuing on. We're going through the book of Mark, but actually this morning I switched over to Luke. And the reason I switched over to Luke was the particular section of Scripture we looked at last week, Luke kind of fills in some stuff, as, as we'll see. And actually I want to start out reading in Luke chapter 10 this morning. And a few verses before, I want to look at 17 through 22 of Luke chapter 10. And so I encourage you, if you find Luke chapter 10, if you'll stand in God's honor, and I want to read from the Bible. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Let's pray. Father, here we are, Lord. Everything that we even think we can brag about, get some attention for, Lord, it's still a gift from you. And you tell us to really rejoice, not over the good stuff that we do, but that our names are secure, written in a special book that says, uh, Jesus, he is who I look to. He is my help. And so, Father, I, I pray this morning as we look at your word that you would just continue to speak to us. Thank you so far, Lord, for drawing us to yourself through what we have done, Lord. And I pray it continue to be sweet to your ears as we move forward in worship. May you be there, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We mentioned last week, he picks, he picks right up here in Luke, and he talks about how the 72 went out. And he, if you remember, I had uh, mentioned last week for you guys that were able to hear, um, they came back, and they started saying, Jesus, it was so awesome what happened out there. You know, some of the guys, they were checking out, you know, the marks they had on their belt. Well, you know, there were a couple of demons. When, when we approached them in the, your power, they, they had to come right out. And there were some healings that happened. And, and Jesus, it was just like you said, you gave us authority and it was so cool. And Jesus' response, though, was, hmm, you know, I remember seeing Satan fall from the heavens like lightning. So in other words, there was this mild rebuke of, yeah, I know there's a spiritual battle going on and I know that sometimes you guys have power and authority and that are used. But what you should really rejoice over as it said in Mark and says here too, is that your names are written in the book of life. He says, so the real rejoicing is not how strong I am in the Lord, but how strong he is in me. That there is a secure hope 
in Jesus' name. And, and so this morning, uh, there's a famous parable that we're going to look at this morning that we know is the Good Samaritan. And it's really in response to a guy who, depending on your translation, uh, he's a lawyer, he's a teacher of the law, he's, he's a scribe, he's one of these religious teachers. And the simple fact of the matter is, what the guy is ultimately into, more than anything, is keeping the rules, buddy. He knows the five first books of the Bible that's known as the Pentateuch. And he's all about, we got to walk tight. Follow those rules. The problem is, as we will see in the text when Jesus speaks, he doesn't badmouth the rules. Jesus, you know, he also talked in the book of Matthew. He said, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them, to bring meaning and fulfillment to these laws. But I think a powerful statement that Jesus was going to make to this teacher of the law is simply, it's not about the rules, it's about the relationships. I had a youth ministry church I served one time, and he had said, rules minus relationship equals rebellion. See, listen, rules are important, and rules have their place, but the reason for rules is to keep relationships strong, to, to keep relationships where they are meant to be. Because, think about it, in God's eyes, what ultimately matters are the relationships, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And then there's another one that we'll look at here in the text. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Those two things, that, that's, that's what completes the rules. We say, get in the game. <laughs> what is the game? not just the rules the rules form a place where relationships can flourish our relationship with god and our relationship with people that's his plan but anyway let's go we're going to go jump in the text here in luke chapter 10 i want to read again uh verses 22 through 24 here now you got to remember he's speaking to a crowd here they're listening to Jesus and his words. And in 22, 24, he says, All things have been committed to be by my Father. No one who knows the Son, who the Son is, except the Father. And no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Now, let me just stop there at 22. Because then it says, he, next verse, he says, He turns privately to the disciples. So he's speaking to a crowd. And out comes, we see in verse 25, a new character. An expert in the law, it says in this translation. He's the religious leader who knows the law. Who's got it together with the rules. He knows it so well that apparently, as we're going to see in a minute, he quotes it directly to Jesus. He has memorized from these books the answer. He, he knows scripture. So it says, on occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? Now, a couple of things happened here. I think this teacher of the law, he heard Jesus, and he thought, what is he talking about? It's the law. It's, you got to follow the rules. you got to get all these rules down. Then you got to walk that line straight. Follow those church rules. You know, what's the old saying? Um, I don't smoke or chew or date girls who do. You gotta, you gotta follow those, you gotta follow those rules closely. And so Jesus says, What does it say in the Bible? What would, how do you have eternal life? What, what is the answer to that strategical and all important question that he gives? And he says, uh, uh, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Then he pulls in another section of scripture from Leviticus 19 where he says, love your neighbor as yourself. This guy has been listening to Jesus and when he heard Jesus say that the answer to life is in the Son, not in the law, not in the rules, it is in a special relationship that Jesus Christ enjoys with the Father. That is where life is found. And this expert in the law heard this and I think he got his feathers a little ruffled for a couple reasons. Number one, he's the guy that has it together. I've memorized the scripture. I know what it says, Jesus. So he, you know, he's a little, he's a little cocky. Brings these answers in here, and he's thinking, hmm. And then it says he stood up to test him. So what does that mean? I'm going to make this guy look bad. He is not walking the strict church line. I mean, doesn't he know he's a member of, supposed to be a member of the Jerusalem church? But what's he talking about here? Comparing himself in this special relationship instead of talking specifically about the law. Why, why, is, he, why is he speaking this way? But there's a very important question that's being asked here. What do I need? to inherit the kingdom man is it being a good church member is it being a good citizen is it being a nice person what is the answer to that question and so often we come to church and it's like what can I do to impress God what can I do to impress the guy next to me that he thinks I'm a good guy you know that I'm you know, maybe I've got it together. And, and so, so often, the, the, the real answer to eternal life is missed, even, guys, within the church. Now, he quotes it right. Love the Lord. Love the person that you come in contact with, your neighbor. But there's a problem. He quotes it. But he doesn't really care. It's all about having the information. But you don't really have a heart for God. It's all about what can God do for me. And then when he adds in love your neighbor as who? Yourself, right? So there's no personal commitment. Your neighbor. And Jesus responds 
in the scripture by saying to him, verse 28, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. But deep down, this guy must have known. How do I know when I've loved God enough? How do I know when I've really loved my neighbor? And I think he was a little bit defensive, although he's giving these answers. I mean, Jesus has turned it back towards him. And so he begins to tell this powerful parable that we have heard, many of us have heard who have been in church any length of time. Notice what he says in verse 29, the, the lawyer, the teacher of the law, he says he wanted to justify himself. <laughs> I want to prove I'm right. Mm. He wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho which was a trip about 18 miles. And it was downhill, and that road was often known as the road of robbers because it was a great place to get mugged, beat up, and robbed. And that's exactly what happens to this guy. It says he fell into the hands of robbers and that they stripped him of his clothes and they beat him and they went away, leaving him half dead. And then we're introduced the three characters who are a part of this parable uh, that come close to this guy who's been beaten and robbed. And the first character we come across is a priest. Um, and it says in verse 31, it says, A priest happened to be going down the same road when he saw the man who passed by on the other side. So, you know, here's what happened to the priest. He's all about the rules. But there's no relationship. So what does he do? He's walking. He says, hmm, what is that? Uh, I think he might be dead. He's dead. He's unclean. He's unclean. I can't show up to temple for seven days. That's what I do for a living. That's where I'm supposed to go. That's... If I want to follow the rules, I have to be able to go to the temple so I can't come in contact with him. So what do you do? He goes to the other side of the road. Just kind of walks on by. To the priest, what was most important was making sure that he followed the rules. Cross your T's, dot your I's, and that's what is going to please God. Follow the rules. And then there's a second guy that appears, and it says in our text in verse 32, we're told, so too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. And the original language gives a picture here that it was similar, but the Levite actually, instead of glancing over, saying, I better get to the other side, he actually got a little closer and I believe that he actually looked down and kind of investigated and thought, what should I do? But then it became a moment of truth. Am I going to help this guy 
or am I going to stay ceremonially clean? And so he walked to the other side and made his decision that he's going to follow the ritual, the rules, but not the relationship that God meant for him to follow. So apparently these guys, I think they probably walked on the opposite side of the road for quite a ways, just in case somebody happened to come on the other side and would see what would happen, you know. At some point they could say, well, I was on the other side of the road, you know, kind of dodged the priest. Why didn't you help? Why, why didn't you reach out? Because we know that's not what happened. Matter of fact, it's interesting with the Levites, there are three groups of people that were recipients of the welfare system in that day among the Jews. There was the orphan and the widow and the Levite. Levites didn't own any property. They didn't have a big savings for retirement. They didn't have anything to depend upon that they owned. They were dependent upon the generosity of other people who gave because they had a compassionate heart. And isn't it interesting that a guy whose very <laughs> existence and ability to have what he needed physically to survive came out of the generosity of others and compassion of others, and yet he wasn't compassionate for this man. So here are the two guys. They followed the rules, but they missed the relationship. And then a third character came along. Verse 33, we're introduced to him. It says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He showed him compassion. But what makes this so strange is the Samaritans and the Jews. Man, they fought. There was a, a hate for one another. Matter of fact, uh, one commentator, he, he, he listed these five things that Jews thought of Samaritans. I'm going to share with you. First one, he said, if they saw a Samaritan in the synagogue, they would just curse. Well, that blasted Samaritan shouldn't be here. He's not worthy to be here. Secondly, it's told that the Samaritans believe, I mean, not Samaritan, the Jews believe that the Samaritans, because they weren't pure and holy, they should have no part in the resurrection. They're not worth the resurrection of God. Pretty hot, heavy stuff, right? Thirdly, they would never accept a Samaritan who wanted to turn to Judaism, who wanted to follow God. Now, they would receive Gentiles who would want to come into the Jewish faith, but not a Samaritan. They're not worth God's time, right? Fourthly, Jews considered eating the food of a Samaritan and with a Samaritan as equal to a good old pork dinner. And we know how they feel about pork, pigs, right? And the last one that was shared, now this is the kicker. Fifthly, it is better to suffer than to accept the help of a Samaritan. Here's a guy, he's been beat up, he's been stripped, and now his life depends on this slime bag 
that's standing over the top of him. And he's probably tempted to say, well, God, I'd rather die than to have him help me. And yet that is exactly what happened. I believe when Jesus told this story and the onlookers that are looking around, he's thinking, who can I pick who is the most obnoxious, unworthy scumbag out there to be the one who provides the help? And why would he do that? Because everyone matters to God. There is no one, no matter how different we may think we are or how terrible that other person there is, God created and made them and they are of value to God. And that is all of us. <laughs> and so this Samaritan came and he ministered to this Jew who was broken. You know, you hear stories through the news. And, and just a few I'll share with you through the years. A couple of years ago, there was a young man who was riding on the subway, minding his own business, when a guy jumped on him and literally started stabbing him. Eleven people watched as they stabbed him and nobody helped. They just watched. And how do you explain this one? A woman, she's coming home to her apartment. And as she begins to try to go in her apartment, she is attacked by a man for 30 minutes. And 17 neighbors watch and nobody stops to even call the police. They allow that to continue. And, and here's one, a woman shopping on Fifth Avenue in Manhattan. She has an accident, she falls, she breaks her leg, and people are literally stepping over her <laughs> to continue walking to where they're going, but nobody stops. This happened for over 40 minutes. Finally, a taxi driver stops, picks her up, puts her in the taxi cab, and takes her to the hospital. You know, how can this happen? And I read, this is just in the past couple of weeks, of a woman who was on a train, you guys probably heard about this, She's on a train, and a guy starts to rape her. And the people are just sitting there. Nobody helped her. People, some people even took out their cell phones and were videotaping it. How can that happen? There's no compassion. S something has happened. And I'll be honest, I think social media has something to do with this. Man, we, we get on social media, and you never really see anybody, and... People can be so mean to one another and nobody's really human or, or really there and, and we just attack one another and, and beat each other up. But it's much harder to do that when you actually see people and have picnics with them and do stuff with them and you know who they are in the community and you see them as real people. But we live in a culture now, it seems like the closer through technology we get, the further apart we become. And there's this lack of compassion for one another that seems to be evident within our culture. And yet, God calls us in some manner to be the kind of people that are willing to go down to the ditch and get a little dirty. And to help when the need presents itself when people are hurt. This is from Psalm 145, verse 8 in the King James. It says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and great of mercy. You see, this teacher of the law, he did everything right. He was a great church guy. The only problem was he didn't have compassion. He had the rules, just not the relationships. To follow Christ, 
The rules serve the relationships, not the other way around. And when that is forgotten, a lack of compassion has a way of sneaking in there. Listen to 1 John chapter 3. This is verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Man, how convicting is that? I had a friend of mine years ago who he, he really didn't make a lot of money. He had a uh, 20-something thousand a year. But he worked, he would read meters for the electric company. And I guess because I was his pastor, he'd tell me, but he, he loved. He would find out somebody that didn't, couldn't pay their electric bill, he would pay it anonymously. And he'd get so, oh, he'd say, Pastor, you can't believe what God let me do today. He let me play an, pay an electric bill. I thought, well, I don't know if I get that excited about that. But, you know, it ministered to him as he was able to give compassion. Notice, let's get back to our text here. In uh, verse 34 and 35, it says, He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil on oil and wine to clean those wounds, right? Then he put the man on his own donkey, and he took him to an inn and took care of him. He got personally involved, didn't he? Verse 35, The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the inn's keeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. I read a little further, that was a two denarii, and it said that that would be equal to 24 days' worth of lodging. So this guy, this terrible Samaritan, you know, in the Jew's eyes, he paid for this guy to stay in the place for 24 days out of his own pocket so that he could heal up. And not only that, he told the innkeeper, he said, if he needs a little more time to heal up, I'll be back. I'll, I'll make things right. I have to go, but I want to make sure he is taken care of. Now Jesus turns back to the teacher of the law. And by this point, I imagine he's a little bit fidgety, a little bit nervous as Jesus fixes his eyes on him. Look at verse 36. Jesus is looking at him, and I can just see this guy squirming. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Now, he's got to know that this guy looks much more like the first two guys than the third guy, right? Which of these? Which of these was your, was your neighbor? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. You see, Jesus turned it all around. The teacher of the law, the guy that's wanting to play by the rules, he, when he asked the question, you know what he was really saying? Who is worthy of my love? Who deserves my help? That's not what Jesus was saying at all. Instead of saying, who should I be a neighbor to? Jesus instead turned it around and said to this guy, who are you being a neighbor to? Who are you serving now? Where are you showing compassion? Right. All right, I'm going to wrap this thing up with a couple of lessons from the parable. First lesson is this. Ceremonial or religious observances do not guarantee eternal life. 
love you guys, and I'm so grateful God allows us to be together. And for years of just getting to know you, it's it's easy to love you. But the truth of the matter is, me being a member of Kingsway Baptist Church or me being baptized uh, back when I gave my life to Christ or even me coming before the church and say I'm, I'm joining the church or, or even me being willing to serve in any capacity in, in church, none of that saves me. None of that is the foundation upon which my salvation rests. Remember what Jesus said to those teachers of law. This is in uh, Matthew five thirty nine and 40. He says, you diligently search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. The words, right? These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. That's John 5, 39, 40. John 5, 39, 40. You refuse to come to me. You love the rules, but you're missing the relationship. <laughs> it's, it, it's not about being churchy. It's about Jesus Christ and a real relationship with him. Secondly, it's demonstrated by how we treat others, by a demonstration of real compassion. You know, John 13, 35, the 11th commandment, we'll talk about the 10 commandments, well, there's 11, right? A new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. Everyone in there that you really love by the way you treat each other. By the love you have for one another. That's how they want to know. That's what's going to make the difference. A few more verses in 1 John 3. This is uh, verses 10 and 11. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. This hurts. (laughs) Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. In other words, I think John, I think when he wrote these words, I think he was probably thinking about this parable Jesus told. Don't tell me how much you love Jesus when you are bitter with this other person. It's got to be cleaned up. It's got to be cleaned up. I'm going to drop down a couple of verses, chapter 3 of 1 John. This is verses 14 through 16. He says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And I'm going to close with 1 John 3, 18 of this section. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This is where you put on the work bib and the apron and get out there and and show love. Uh, a week or two ago, hey buddy, I can't keep track of time, uh, but Eric and Holly were here, and as they were leaving, uh, Eric's got a muscular a form of muscular dystrophy, kind of muscle disease. And 
it's been hard through the years to watch him get a little less balance on his feet. He got up to leave, and he fell. And when he fell, he dislocated one of his fingers, and it was like crooked. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, I don't know, this is awful, you know. And of course, his wife, Holly, she's a trooper. She's over there helping him, and he's like, it hurts, it hurts. And I'm thinking, yeah, I bet it does hurt. Shoo! So anyway, a couple of people helped Eric up, and they, they got him to the car, and Eric and Holly went to the hospital, and, you know, they sat there to wait to see somebody. And so I got, Holly contacted me later, and, and uh, she said, we're out. They, you know, they gave Eric a shot and yanked that finger. Says, you ready? Ooh, you know, <laughs> could do that anyway. And, you know, everything's good, fixed it up. And then this is, this is what they said to me. They said, you know, we think all this happened because of a young man, a 20-year-old young guy that we met there at the hospital who's having terrible problems. And we think that God wanted us to be able to meet him and to talk to him. And guys, to show him compassion, right? To show him compassion. Um, there's that old saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And there's some truth in that. You know, I think, I know I've told you guys this story years ago, that the pastor that I became a Christian under, and uh, he's, man, he was kind of goofy. And, you know, he had hair, it looked to me like it would break. I don't know how much stuff he used in his prison or whatever. And he had this suit on, and he had these old, this shows how old I am, but I call them Star Trek boots. You know, they're tiny, you know, give them a pat on the <laughs> But anyway, uh, and he always felt kind of distant to me. He, he was a great preacher, but, he, you know, he wasn't a guy necessarily I'd want to have a picnic, you know, a, a cookout with, right? So, my dad died, and we went home, and we went into my home church, and uh, went over to the piano in the sanctuary, and Cindy began to play. We were going to sing at the funeral. And we were singing this song, and my pastor walked in. And I was like, what's this? What's going to happen here? <laughs> you know. And so he walks over to me, and I get up, and I've got my hand out, and I'm going to shake his hand. And he comes up to me, and he hugs me and begins to weep. never said anything but boy does he talk to me compassion compassion i, I want to share a illustration of this this is from second timothy chapter one verses 16 and 17 may the lord show mercy to the household of onesiphorus that's one of those hard word hard word i tell you guys you know sometimes i think it's okay in these scripture words if you you don't know how to pronounce it just hard word hard word god knows okay matter of fact i don't want to have to say that again so from now on as i tell this illustration i'm just gonna call him russ okay you got that russ we'll work with russ okay uh, anyway it says about russ because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me. That's because he found me. Think about Paul. He's in this old prison. He's old. He's, he's probably kind of sickly. The guy's been beat to death a few times. Got a lot of pain, arthritis, I imagine. He's 
basically by himself. Russ is coming now. He's going through that prison. He's talking to the different prison guards. He's talking to the different people in that prison. Hey, where is Paul? Where is he? You know what? And he's he's looking. As a matter of fact, I want to read to you. This is from a preacher of old, a powerful preacher, uh, Alexander White. I'm, I'm just going to read what he had written on this. He said, Paul might be the greatest of the apostles to us. He used the other one, but I'm using Russ. He may be all that and far more than all that to you and to me. He was only number so-and-so to the soldier who was chained night and day to Paul's right hand. You would not have known Paul from any night and day to Paul's right hand. You would not have known Paul from any other convict in our own penal settlements. Paul was simply number five or number 50 or number 500 or any such number. From one barrack prison, therefore, to another, he went about seeking for Paul. Day after day, week after week, often insulted, often threatened, often ill-used, often arrested and detained until he was set free again. Only after great suffering and great expense, at last, his arms were around Paul. The two old men were kissing and weeping. And to the amazement of all the prisoners who saw the scene, Russ had that gut feeling of compassion. He found out that the Apostle Paul was in jail. Alexander White, he goes on, he says, I can see him going up to some burly soldier. Hey, is Paul here? He's otherwise known as Solitarsus. Hmm, let me check. He goes in. Is Paul in here? Three guys raise their hands, so he, he comes back out and says, I've got three in here. Russ says, well, go back in there and ask if one of them is the apostle of Jesus Christ. Is Paul the apostle of Jesus Christ here? And there he was. And there was a joyous reunion of two brothers in Christ. One brother that's hurting and one brother that loves him and wants to encourage him. And sometimes the best encouragement you can do is not giving them an answer that explains away the problem, but showing compassion. And man, we are in a world that needs compassion. And when the church of Christ begins to show compassion, I believe people want to be in the church of Christ. People see what it's about. It's about the relationship. It's not about the rules. It's about love being shown upon a cross. Love that is being demonstrated among people who find out where the pain is and step in there. <laughs> he closes Alexander White in this part. He, he, Paul didn't step in there, I don't think, and, and said, I've got a theological question for you to answer, Paul. Nah. Or he didn't say, I'd love to be able to go back home and say, I'd love to show this one of the great apostles. I must be something now, right? He didn't do that. And, and he didn't come by and say, you know, I've been arrested and detained because I had to find out this, this apostle and do this great sacrifice for God. He went there because he loved Paul. That's why he was there. All right, I got to wrap this thing up. Okay, some lessons real quick I want to share. Uh, number one, a good Samaritan gives without concern for compensation. There's no mention in here. Here's my bill, Paul. Uh, 
it took me about uh, 37 days to get here and figure out where you were, and here's my expenses, and, um, you know, of course, I know as my dad used to say, you can't get blood out of a turnip, not like we'd have anything good. But the fact of the matter is, a good Samaritan's not looking for how much pay he's going to get. He does it because he cares. Secondly, a good Samaritan cares without concern for the religious status quo. Sometimes in churches, we church people can get stuffy. I know it was said of Gandhi, he said, if it wasn't, he says, Christ is beautiful. I could almost become a Christian if it weren't for Christians. It's not about the status quo. It's not about those people or the way they're acting. It's about compassion. It's about concern. Um, are we good Samaritans? Uh, one, one more here. I keep saying I'm going to wrap it up. You know, when a preacher says he's about to stop, you know what that means? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> but I, I should be getting close here. Okay, number three. A good Samaritan serves without concern for recognition without concern for it. it. It's not about being noticed. It's about compassion and love. Let me share this poem with you. You know, Lord, how I serve you with great emotional fervor in the limelight. You know how eagerly I speak for you at the women's club. You know how I effervesce when I promote a fellowship group. You know my genuine enthusiasm at a Bible study. But how would I react, I wonder, if you pointed to a basin of water and asked me to wash the callous feet of a bent and wrinkled old woman day after day, month after month, in a room where nobody saw and nobody knew. We act out of compassion because of a God who will change. God, I, I thank you um, for your word. And Lord, we tend to be a people of rules. And there's value, but may the rules never take precedence over the relationships. And uh, Father, we thank you for scripture as Jesus reminded this guy who was all about the rules. Where are you being a neighbor? To whom are you being a neighbor to? Where is your heart? Where is your compassion? And God, the same can be said for each of us, Lord. Where am I showing compassion? You showed us compassion at Calvary. And Father, there is a gift available to us. It costs you everything, your life. And Father, I would be amiss if I did not point out that invitation. But you are always saying, if you will trust me and believe in me, there's a new start, there's forgiveness, everything has a new beginning and god we don't want anyone to miss that opportunity so lord speak to hearts if they need to begin that relationship with you oh lord through jesus christ who changes them uh, but father those of us who are in that relationship now father may we ask that question am i being a neighbor am i loving god with all my heart soul mind and strength and that is represented by how I treat those around me. So God, move in what we call invitation or response. And 
we just want to give you glory. So, Father, uh, you have room, Father, <laughs> in Christ's name.